0: As the pastor of Grace Point, I want to welcome all of you who are first time with us today. Uh, I tell you what, being a holiday weekend, I know there's probably lots of family members in town, and we just want to welcome you to Grace Point. And to those of you who are the regulars of Grace Point, I always like to point out the first, the first church plant, the first time we do something, the first time we accomplish something. It's always fun to point out those first times. Well, this is the first time uh, to broadcast uh, a message. I have to admit that it probably won't be the last time. Looking at multiple sites, multiple gatherings, multiple worship venues in the future, it's going to probably become a regular in some places and locations. Now, as we think about that and we kind of look towards that, I didn't actually intend on this Sunday being our first. But it is. It's that, it's that time because of some events that have been happening in Lori and I's life. And I shared a lot about it last week. And uh, I, I, I am right now, as I am filming this, I, as you're watching this, I'm in Zambia, Africa. And uh, in a process of trying to find one person in the middle of Africa. Uh, her name is Memory Maluma. So if you want to pray for anybody, pray for memory, because if you were here last week, you heard me tell the story that uh, she's an orphan child, and she's a dear friend of ours, and she's crying out for help. And uh, as God is the father to the fatherless, I felt like, as she considers me her father and Lori her mother, that it is our job to go and to do what we can to rescue and to help and to encourage and maybe even bring back to America memory. So you be praying for that. And uh, as we come to this time of the year, it's uh, one of those times, that I think the greatest gift I could bring back for my family and for memory is a home. And so you be praying for that. This time of year is a fun time of year. It's one of the time of year Christmas trees are up and red colors come out and, and it's a time of year we go shopping. It's a time of year we look forward to it coming be honest with you, I think we're also equally glad when it goes. Uh, it's one of those times of year when, well, we it costs a lot, uh, everything's expensive, mayhem, uh, shopping, uh, expensiveness again abounds, weight gain is there. Uh, in fact, an average, I heard this past week on the radio, an average American will gain eight pounds from Thanksgiving to the New Year. Now, we didn't do this, and I thought about it for about half a second. We were going to have a weigh-in today and to see where you were, where you are since Thanksgiving. And so, uh, well, we didn't do that, and we won't do that. But uh, eight pounds, my lands. I remember back uh, about two years ago, back it was two Christmases back-to-back, I put on ten stinking pounds. And it took me till the end of the summer to get off a portion of it, and the rest of it hung around. And so until recently, I've been able to lose a little bit more. But nevertheless, it's one of those times of year you just kind of jump into with both feet and love it and live it, and, and there it is. And then all of a sudden, it's over, and you're kind of glad it's over. Sometimes it comes with disappointment and heartache. And, and all. many Americans are paying for Christmas bodily with weight gain or financially with credit card debt well into the summer. You know, and I have to admit, a couple of years ago, uh, I preached my last Christmas series. I didn't preach one last year. I don't think I preached one the year before. It's been a couple of years. Because to be honest with you, it's kind of hard to come every year and share the same stories again and again. And I also became frustrated with what I felt like was an emptiness. I was missing a part of the story. It was like I was telling the story, but I wasn't. Living the story. And it was this year through what God's been teaching me that I felt like really, Mike, it's time, God was saying to me, it's time to live the story. The story of Christmas. Which meant that Mike McDaniel was going to have to live a little bit differently. Now you might think, Mike, you're just a ball humbug guy. You're kind of going to be down on Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. I am not boycotting Christmas. I have never boycotted Christmas. And I love Christmas. Uh, In fact, Lori and I have kind of a moratorium in our house on when we can listen to Christmas music. It kind of starts playing in the hallways and in in my office and in the living room. It starts playing around October. And we've said nothing before The end of September. Okay, we can start playing it in October, but nothing until then. We like Christmas. We decorate for Christmas. Christmas is one of those times that it's fun to celebrate. But again, many times, it's this bipolar effect. We love Christmas when it comes, but we love to see it go. And so I wonder if we made adjustments at the beginning of Christmas to live the Christmas story and understand the Christmas story more fully if that might not affect the outcome of Christmas to where you don't have that downside, you don't have that let down at the end of Christmas. I wonder if we could live it more fully and tell it more completely if we were actually living it if we could make it more about Christ and less about us, if we could make it more about feeding others instead of feeding ourselves. If we could make it more about giving and less about spending. If we could make it more about the least of these and less about us, the most affluent of these. I think if that's, going to have, if that's going to happen, we're going to have to revisit Christmas. We're going to have to reinvent Christmas. Because we have this consumption consumerism building up to a climax kind of Christmas. that many times has a letdown at the backside. We worship less at Christmas. We spend more. We give less. We struggle more. More, less, more, less, more, less. What's the difference? What if we could invert those instead of worshiping less and spending more and giving less and struggling more? What if we could invert each one of those and worship more and spend less and give more and struggle less? What would that look like? I want you to watch this short video segment of a lady giving a testimony just about how when she began to live the story instead of tell the story, the difference it began to make in her life and her family's life.
1: Christmas time, you know, Advent, is the hardest time for someone who frankly gets a lot of joy out of being out there shopping, gets a lot of joy out of seeing people bustling around with their bags, you know. They're people who are really susceptible to commercials and, you know, the Christmas spirit and all. I'm one of those people. So for me to pull back from that was, was huge. What I experienced was that pulling back from that, um, it was as if there was more room for God. It's the miracle of Advent, you know, that if you it's almost like God makes a pact with us. If you give me more space during this time, I will come and dwell in you. And and for years, you know, I think I knew about that deal, <laughs> if you will, but didn't really take God up on it. And over the last two years, really because of the Advent conspiracy, I've been able to say, okay, God, you know, you know me, and you know what joy I get out of just being out there, running around, shopping, I'm critical of it, but I'm also deep in it. Um, but if you're saying that we could do this differently, and that if I do this differently, you'll dwell in me richly, I mean, I'll take you up on that, God. And um, and God didn't fail.
0: Instead of worshiping less, I challenge that we worship fully. That we really get in and we understand the Jesus story. We really just don't get in and understand it, but we get in and we live the Jesus story. See, Jesus lived humbly, but was magnificently worshipped. We humbly worship and magnificently live. What a dichotomy. That we literally do things... Nearly exactly the opposite of the way Jesus modeled it. The way Jesus lived, born in a stinky, dirty manger, that being the very center, the very epicenter of the Christian message. The narrative of Christmas is not a fancy, sparkling shopping mall. But it's a cow dung infested manger. If you think about the different people, the different elements of the Christmas story, you have to go to the Gospel of Luke. Luke is probably the most thorough account of the Christmas story and there's chapter after chapter regarding the Christmas story. And I want to jump in and read when when. God began to unpack the Christmas story to some shepherds and just kind of envision this with me. And in the same region where the shepherds were out in the field, this is uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to verse 14. He said this, "...and in the same region there were the shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with fear. An angel appeared, and an angel said..." So one angel is there. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and He will be assigned to you and you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there were was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. It's like heaven could not keep it quiet. It was like one angel was sent to tell a message. And it was like, no, 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 All the other angels had to jump in to the story and tell the story of Jesus. And suddenly there was an angel of multitudes. Uh, there was a, uh, Suddenly there was a... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. What a message, what a narrative of, of Christmas. That is the cusp of it all. If you want to understand worship, and this is worth writing down, is that if we're understanding the, what worship is, is, worship is what you give yourself fully to what you give yourself fully to. And when you look at the Christmas story, you see a number of examples of, of worship in the Christmas story where people fully give themselves to something. Something bigger than them. Something holier than them. Something more complete than them. And they give themselves fully and completely to Jesus. Now I wonder in our culture again. I wonder I wonder what heaven would say or aliens would say or somebody objective on the outside would say about what we give ourselves fully to at Christmas time. What do we give ourselves really fully to at Christmas time? I wonder if you could ask a 37-year-old man by the name of Last name by Damar, his first name was Jamati or something along those lines. Obviously, a foreigner who grew up, who was living in Long Island last year and was standing out in front of a Walmart store on Black Friday. Gave a whole new meaning to Black Friday for the, Mr. Damar. And uh, as standing out in front of uh, the store, the doors open. Mr. Damar is trampled to death. By all the rush of Christmas shoppers frantically going to the bargains and getting the sales and the goods and the bargains for Christmas gifts. Think about that. What were these people giving themselves fully to? Because it wasn't just the more that was trampled. There were four other shoppers that were knocked down. One person was an eight-month-old eight pregnant woman. Think about that. Separate yourself for just a moment from that. The mayhem of that. What do we give ourselves fully to? If you look at the Christmas story, I think you see at least three demonstrations of fully worshiping Christ at Christmas. And I would say, if we're going to not have the regret on the backside of Christmas, then let's do this. Four weeks out from Christmas, let's revisit, reinvent. Let's live the Christmas story. Let's not just tell it. Let's not just read it. Let's live it. How would we live it? How would we demonstrate it? Well, first of all, let's look at the shepherds because the first demonstration is this, is that they worshiped God fully with their lips. They had a message to declare. As we just, said, as we just read there, the, uh, the angel came and then the angels came and they declared about jesus being born but as you look at this passage you you find in in verse 15 it, it picks up there it says and when the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go over to bethlehem and see this thing that has happened and the lord has made known to us and they went with haste and found mary and joseph lying in a manger that's where he was lying in a manger." And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. So the first declaration of Christmas beyond the lips of the angels were shepherds coming to Jesus to declare to Mary and Joseph what they had experienced. But it doesn't stop there. The the lips continue to spew out this message. And all that they had heard they wondered at what the shepherd told them. And Mary treasured up all these things and pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying again, using their lips, praising God for all that they had heard, all that they had seen. Wow. You think about a story to be told. It's funny when you think about people every Christmas season. I've done it, so I'm laughing at myself, but when you think about how people get upset at this shopping place says Merry Christmas and this shopping place says happy holidays and this you know you know, if that is our biggest ax at Christmas, are, are are we really missing it? Because this is the question I think we, we must ask ourselves. Since when did we, did Christ advocate the message to the retailers of the world? The message was not given to the retailers of the world to say Merry Christmas and declare Christ holiday. The message was given to His followers, His worshipers, shepherd boys, you and me, to go into this world. He, did never, he never advocated that, 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 that Walmart or Walgreens or the Waffle House is supposed to declare the message of Christ. It's, it's you and it's me. We are the ones who are carrying in our lives the message. What has Christ done in your life? Do you have a message of Christ? A message to share? Are you living the Christmas story that you might share the Christmas story? You know, there's a study that was done by Scripps Howard News Service and Ohio University, and they found that after surveying 1,009 adults, that they reported that the water cooler at work has, has surpassed the front porch, the town hall, and the local church as the major site of human contact. The major site of human contact is the water cooler at work. The survey reported that these adults experienced an average of 13 significant face-to-face conversations every day. Thirteen. Men and women with full-time jobs reported two-thirds of these significant discussions occurred at work. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something that may be hard to swallow. And you may be immediately have this red flag that goes up inside of you that says, Oh, I can't do that at my job. I've been told I can be punished up to the point of termination if I share my faith. But I challenge you on that. Go back and reread your personnel manual. <laughs> Go back and reread the Bible in comparison. And I ask you this. Can you not tell your story, your story of Jesus, your story of life change? I'm not saying you go in and you take a Bible and pound them over the head. I'm just saying you live your story. You tell your story. Let me give you three guidelines for sharing your faith at work. If that's where, if the water cooler is where the most, the greatest number of conversations, meaningful depth conversations happens at work, then we as followers of Christ must carry the message Christ, wherever that means, even the water cooler. Three guidelines. And I'll tell you, these three guidelines will work. I don't care if you work for Walgreens or Walmart or the Waffle House. I don't care. These three guidelines will work because I know they'll work, they'll work in a communist country. If they'll work in a communist country, then I think they should be able to work in a free country. When you share your story, do it like this. Share it, number one, humbly. Humbly. Talk about your own failures. Laugh at your own mistakes. Talk about how your life has been far from perfect. It's whenever we step into a conversation of somebody's life and we begin to first point out their mistakes and how they've got to get their life right, people develop a defensive wall and they don't want to hear it. So share it humbly, share it personally. Get in there and tell your story. And tell your story in the life-changing way that it happened. Tell about your life before you became a follower of Christ. Tell about your life at how that encounter happened and, and you became a follower of Christ. And then tell about the change in your life ever since. Those three things. Your life before Christ. How you became a follower of Christ. And your life since becoming a follower of Christ. This is exactly what Paul did. In a hostile Non-Christian environment in Acts 29, 1 to 29. You read the entire chapter. Acts, excuse me, Acts 26. You read that and you will find the story of Paul doing that very thing as he stood before rulers. You can do it in 90 seconds. I call it the elevator talk. You have elevator time. You can tell your story of your life before Christ, how you came to know Christ, and the change He's made in your life. You can do that in 90 seconds. That's elevator time. You share that at a water cooler. You can share that as you're sipping coffee on a break time. You can share that any number of ways. And you know what happened when Paul shared his? King Agrippa said, Paul, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. You know, it's amazing how when we tell our story humbly, when we tell it personally, how it's very endearing. Tell your story. Don't wait for the supermarket to tell the story of Christmas. You tell the story. Share it humbly, share it personally, but also share it biblically. You need to have some verses in your heart and your mind. You need to be able to show people from the Scriptures where it is that the Bible says you can know Jesus Christ. Start with John 1.12. If you receive Him, you can become His child. Start with Romans 3.23 where it talks about how we've all sinned and fallen short of God. Uh uh, 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 we've, we'll all have sinned and come short of God's glory. Share the story and share the scripture. Do it. Humbly. Do it personally. Do it biblically. But that was the first, the shepherds are the first ones to get out and to fully embrace the Christmas story. But there was also Mary. Mary was one who tells us, demonstrates for us, how to worship God fully at Christmas time. She worshipped God fully with her life. With her life. Nobody can, has ever taken in God like Mary has. Mary is the epitome of the story of taking in the story of Christmas. She models it for us. She grew up in a time of strict moral guidelines that literally, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 20 and 21, that if you were to commit adultery, it was capital punishment. Punishable by death. And here is Mary pregnant. Here is Mary engaged to Joseph, not married. Everybody knows they're not married, and Mary is now pregnant. This news, this is the first example of artificial insemination, and God did it with Mary. John MacArthur said it like this, there's no other fact in the Christmas story that's more important than the virgin birth. No other fact more important. Mary is taking this on. She's probably 12, 13, 14 years of age. Just very young teenager in life. But in chapter 1, verse 28, it says this. It says, And He came to her and He said, this is another angel, an angel speaking, greeting, I have fa- I, O favored one, the Lord is with you. He told her, you're pregnant. God is inside of you. The Lord is with you. Now notice what Mary's response was. And she was greatly troubled. Greatly troubled by these sayings. Now just just stop the story there. Because we know the rest of the story. Stop it right there. Mary hears from an angel. God's with you. You're pregnant. She can't wrap her arms around it. She even goes on later on and says, How can that be? I mean, I'm a virgin. How can that be? Let's go on and read the story. And she tried to discern this sort of greeting. This might be, I mean, what is this that, that these angel, this angel is saying? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. So you could see that fear was welling up inside of her. Her, her life may have been flashing before. I'm pregnant in a, in a hostile environment for, for teen pregnancy. I could be put to death. You could just see maybe the fear welling up inside of her. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of the kingdom there is no end what an amazing message and you can get lost in the message but i want to keep pushing us back to mary what's going on in mary's life she's fear you know what's had this is troubling her you know this angel speaking to her god is what, what do you mean i'm pregnant how can that be because you see the very next words and mary said to the angel verse 34 how will this be since i'm a virgin how is this going to happen mary was available to use use her body, her life, to demonstrate her worship to God. It put her in a very uncomfortable situation. She literally had to go live with a relative named Elizabeth, who was also pregnant. A miraculous story in and of itself. But as you think about it, what would a little teenage girl with a message like this Do? It had to be overwhelming. It had to be fearful. She had to probably at least somewhat think, why me? How can this be? How's Joseph going to respond? What are my parents going to say? Are they going to believe me? What kind of fairy tale? See, you have to remember, the story of the virgin birth has never happened before this time and has never happened since. So there's not a whole lot of precedence for this. But Mary... Used her life, her life, her flesh and her blood, to tell and celebrate the story of Jesus. And in uh, on down in chapter one, verse thirty seven, it says this for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. The angel speaking there, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary said, here's my life. I'm a servant. The shepherds demonstrated with their lips. Mary demonstrated with her life. How are you demonstrating? How are you telling? How are you living? the Christmas story with your life. I like to read. Didn't always like to read. Struggled with reading for a long time in my life, and I've told the story of my conversion to reading, my aversion to reading, and then my conversion to reading. I read about 20, 25 books a year. My number one book of the year for 2009 is Crazy Love. Everybody that is a member, a covenant member of Grace Point Church, that means you've gone through the North Point class, you've signed the covenant, you're a baptized believer following Christ, received crazy love this past week. And this book will literally change your life. It will call you out, it'll call your life out to living a life of worship. We've given it. I've given it. We've given it. The church has given You're giving it. I, I, I wanted everybody to have this because I knew that this was a kind of book that really took us back. The crazy love idea is the fact that God so crazily loved us that He sent His Son. How much are we crazily loving God with our life? Does, does the love go up and down or is it just a one-way street? So I have some questions for you. And again, we have a reading plan that's in the bulletin. Uh, we have a reading plan that was in the Pulse this past week. We have a reading plan for this. I want every family of Grace Point Church to read Crazy Love during this Christmas season. This will be the greatest compliment to the Advent Conspiracy series that I can give you. I want, I want every day of the week, seven days of the week, I want you thinking about this new approach to Christmas, to living the Christmas story and not just telling the Christmas story. Crazy love does not tell you one thing about Christmas. I don't know that the story of Christmas is even mentioned in here. Because see, the story of Christmas has been relegated to a month, to a day, to a season. The story of Christmas is a year-round story. It's daily with our lips, declaring the message of Christ. It's daily with our life, living out, willing, as Mary was willing to allow In her body, the message of Jesus to be proclaimed despite the rejection and the craziness that it would bring. There's three questions I want you to write down real quickly that as you're reading through Crazy Love, just a couple of chapters every week, very manageable for the next four weeks. Here's a couple of questions. I want you to maybe even take the book and write it in the front cover. But here it is. What if my love for God was as crazy as His love for me? What if my love for God was as crazy as His love for me? What would that look like? What would that look like? I have to admit, I think it's one of the reasons I'm in Zambia right now. How crazy was God loving me when He sent His Son way out of the way when he left all the riches of heaven to come to the poverty of earth. How crazy was that law. It's ridiculously crazy. How can I have somebody on another continent calling out to me? Daddy. Lori, have someone calling out to her mama and us not go to them. This book was instrumental in this process in my thinking. Don't think that means you're going to have to go to Africa. It may mean that. It may mean even more radical things than that. But what if your love for God was as crazy as His love for you? What would it look like? Here's another question. Am I suffering from spiritual amnesia? You think about those two words. Spiritual amnesia. Shouldn't go together, but they do. Spiritual amnesia. What does that look like? How does that look like in my life? What does that look like in my life? Am I asleep spiritually? Sleep at the will. Going through the motions. Sunday morning, in and out. Body life, in and out. Bible study, in and out. Going through the motions. Spiritual amnesia. Am I awake? He talks about spiritual amnesia in one of the first chapters. Third question to ask yourself every day when you're reading. Has my success and prosperity hardened me to the things of God? Am I so wealthy I don't need God? Take Him or leave me? How crazy is my love for God? You know, I have to look at Mary's life and try to live it in her mind, that teenage mind. What well, she was willing to allow her body to go through and the public ridicule and shame. And the doubt. And what Joseph surely felt as betrayal at first. What, 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 what was she going through? But yet she was willing to worship God fully with her life. Shepherds fully with her li- with their lips. But now let's talk about one other character in the Christmas story that worshiped God. And that's Joseph. Joseph, boy, you talk about some news Joseph is a major player in the story. Now, he, obviously he didn't he didn't have relations with Mary. He's not the one who gave the seed, but he was going to be the father who raised God's son. Wow. What a role he would play. And yet he comes and he finds out that his wife is to be is pregnant. How can that be? Joseph worshipped God fully with his loyalty. He was loyal The shepherds worshipped with their lips. Mary worshipped with her life. Joseph worshipped with his loyalty. If you look back in Matthew, just go back a couple of books to Matthew chapter 1. As the story kind of unfolds there. Matthew 1, you pick up kind of an emotional response from Joseph when it says... Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when the mother of Mary was betrothed to Joseph. They were engaged. That's what betrothal means. Before they came together, she, found to, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, her husband, already that, was that identification was there. Though the relationship wasn't there, though the marriage wasn't consummated, that, that, that commitment, that loyalty, that sacredness was, was already in place. He was unwilling to put her out shamefully. And he could have. He could have taken her into the streets. He could have killed her. It was permissible in that day. He resolved to divorce her quietly. Notice that he was ready to give her up. He was ready to take care of the documents, to take care of putting her out of his relationship and moving on. Who wouldn't? The betrayal that he was feeling. But, verse 20. As he considered these things, behold, an angel. Here are the angels again. Three three stories, three demonstrations of worship, and three times the angels are coming in speaking for the Lord Jesus. Now notice that. Angels point people to Jesus. Now this is not even a part of the message. But it's free, okay? Angels that you see in common Barnes and Noble books don't point people to Jesus. The angels of Scripture point people to Jesus. Always Always check that out. Okay. But an angel considered these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary to be your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She didn't get it from another man. She got it from the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't a sexual relationship encounter. It was an insemination, if you will, is the best way I could describe it. Just putting the seed inside of her womb. And she will bear a son and you shall call His name Jesus for he, will call, for he will save His people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call His name Emmanuel. Skip down to verse 24. And when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took His wife. But knew her not, no sexual relations, until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. The loyalty. The absolute sold out crazy loyalty. What are you loyal to this Christmas season? We have so many things barking in our heads and in our minds, telling us, calling us to, to come to this party and to give me a gift and, and, to, and to, to buy this and to, and to get this. This is the best gift you could give your kids. If you love them, buy them a piece of plastic. Buy them a machine that will give them carpal tunnel. But I... I wonder if that's really what loyalty looks like. I'm willing to do the uncomfortable. That's what Joseph had to do. I'm willing to do the unusual. That's what Mary did. The shepherds, I'm willing to speak out, I'm willing to share. I'm willing to let the the message be known. Let's not wait for the malls, the retail stores. Let's let the message be known from our lips, from our life, and from our loyalty to God. This Christmas season, let Christ be your center. And You're going to have to constantly check yourself. Take time with your family to read the Scriptures. Take time with your family to read what crazy love looks like to worship Christ fully worship Him with your lips worship Him with your life worship Him with your loyalty and I have one last question I'm finished how can our worship of Jesus this Christmas tell a better story live a better story than the story being told How can our message of Christmas, how can our worship of Christmas, how can our life of Christmas, how can our loyalty to Christ this Christmas tell a better story to this world?